After the death of King Solomon, David's son, the nation of Israel was divided by civil war into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern nation of Judah. Both nations began an almost constant downhill slide, led by wicked kings adopting pagan religious practices of the nations around them and suffering the consequences of abandoning God and his loving care. The northern kingdom of Israel is the first to be destroyed by the Assyrians in 722 BC, followed by the defeat, captivity, and exile of Judah under the Babylonians in 586 BC. It's primarily during this period of, of several hundred years of unfaithfulness to God that we find most of the prophets. They were men and women through whom God spoke and acted, pointing out people's sin and disobedience, warning them of the consequences of their actions, and calling them back to God, who had brought them out of slavery in Egypt and had given them this promised land. Accounts of some of the prophets, like um, Elijah or Elisha, are found in the Old Testament historical books. But most of these men's lives and words are found in the Old Testament books that we call the prophets. Four longer or major prophetic books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, and the twelve shorter or minor prophets, all collected at the end of our Old Testament. Isaiah was one of these prophets. Though the book that bears his name is primarily the words of God for the Jewish people, the book tells us a little bit about Isaiah himself. Isaiah lived in the 8th century BC. Now this is almost 300 years after the golden age of Kings David and Solomon. Isaiah lived in the southern nation of Judah, which had been led for 40 years by King Uzziah. It had been a time of, of relative peace and prosperity. But now Uzziah had died and everything seems to be coming apart. Judah has become subject to the rising power of Assyria. The future seems uncertain at best and, and terrifying at worst. God is helping his people through Isaiah to understand that their idolatrous heathen religious practices and, and their culture of oppression of the poor and persecution of the weak, their, their bigotry and their legal system have all brought them to this point. The first 39 chapters of this long book deal with these issues. But everything changes when we reach chapter 40. Beginning in the last half of this book, it seems as if God is talking not just to Isaiah's contemporaries, but to those living generations in the future who will be suffering the consequences of Judah's abandoning God. These amazing chapters speak to a generation that will be taken into captivity and exile in Babylon, who will feel forsaken by a God whose love and power they would begin to question. God tells them of a king, Cyrus, whom God will use to restore them to their homeland, and he foretells the coming of their ultimate king, the Messiah, who will bring salvation as a suffering servant. Many people don't believe that God knows the future, or at least that he doesn't show it to people, even prophets like Isaiah. They would suggest that there was a second prophet who lived during the future exile and who is writing these chapters which were later combined with Isaiah's writings. But I believe in a God who knows and controls the future. 
And however God inspired these chapters to be written, they contain a message of truth and hope and a warning for 21st century Christians as well. It's these final chapters of Isaiah from which we'll be teaching during these five weeks prior to Easter. We'll be reading sections from Isaiah in our daily scriptures, a chapter each weekday for 28 days. So I hope you're ready to accept this challenge and to jump into Isaiah with us. I believe you'll be surprised at how meaningful and encouraging these chapters can be as God speaks to you through them. Throughout history, God has had a plan, a plan to redeem us, a plan to save us, and a plan that we desperately need. Throughout history, God has had a plan, a plan to redeem us, a plan to save us, and a plan that we desperately need. That's the final words of that video, and as always, that is exactly right. Um, Throughout history, God has had a plan, and that's that's what I want to be talking a lot about today is um, this this scripture-long love story slash plan that God has. but before I start, I just want to uh, admit to you, you, you kind of heard it a little bit in Jeff's intro. Um, this, has been, this has been tough going. This has been tough study for me. I've, I've worked really hard. It was funny. I met Doug out in front uh, this morning, and both him and I had similar stories. Like, we worked way harder on this lesson than, 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 than we tend to have to. I mean, it's just, it's a, there's some hard things in Isaiah. Um, and both of us had a similar thing, too, where we ended up with a mountain of information that we needed to sift through. And, and that was part of the hard part. My my first trial run at this was about 70 minutes long of teaching, I think. You know, so I, I know you guys think that always happens to me and it kind of does. But this is way worse than normal. Uh, so just be, I hope what I really hope is that y- you can enter with me into a journey of struggle, into a journey of, you know what, I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure I know exactly all the answers that are in these scriptures uh, that I'm going to be looking at. And I, and I hope you can be with me in learning and exploring and trying to think through these ideas. Uh, so that was my little caveat. Uh, but, but this scripture here, this, this section of Isaiah, and in fact, the prophets, are, are part of this love story. And this part of this love story is the part where the, the prophets are trying to speak for God to, to sometimes woo us, sometimes sort of strong arm us, sometimes shame us, sometimes just bleed and beg of us to come back to Him, to come back to God. God, the God of creation, the God who made us, who has so much passion that we, that we be with Him. He's, He's so in love with us. And then we walk away from Him. And He's just, I want you back. And I'm not exactly sure how to get you back. You have to come back on your own free will. So I will beg and I will plead and I will instruct and I will command. But I will ask you to come back. Reading through the prophets, um, I hope this doesn't trivialize it, but a lot of times reading through the prophets sounds like a drug uh, 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 therapy group. You know, like, what are those called when you... A confrontation, when you bring this person into your family and you're all sitting around the living room and you all start telling them, you are hurting me, you have ruined my life. You are hurting yourself. You, the behavior you had, are doing is taking you in the wrong direction. If you keep up with this behavior, you can't be around me anymore. I have to set boundaries and barriers. 
But if you do correct yourself, you can be with me and I will help you and I will love you. It, this, that's what the prophets sound like sort of over and over and over. Today's, uh, today's section of prophecy is Isaiah 56, chapters one, uh, verses 1 through 8. And in this section of scripture, it's, it's, it's not dissimilar. God is begging and pleading. But what he's focused on in this particular case is this idea of that Israel has, and in fact Judah, since we're talking to the southern kingdom, has excluded people. They have pushed people away from them. They have become a little, a little holy club. And they have said, none of you guys can be a part of our club. And God is saying to them, that's not right. That's not what I said. That's not what I asked for. You guys, you need to fix this. You need to bring people back in. You need to understand that this love story is a love story for the whole earth, not just for you guys. Let me read this to you. Isaiah chapter 56. Um, It's in your bulletin. This is what the Lord says. It's in your bulletin and you can read along. But prophecies were delivered orally. Um, so one way to do this is to listen to this prophecy as if you were listening to Isaiah. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice. Do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps their hands from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people, and let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial. And a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. All who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and uh, will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. That that prophecy said to those people would have been really startling, would have been really surprising. You what? You just said eunuchs? are going to be a part of the inside of the temple? (laughs) No. No, I don't think so. You just said foreigners are going to have their their, uh, sacrifices accepted on the altar? No. No, I'm pretty sure that's not right. I'm pretty sure that's not what's going to happen. This would have been really crazy news to them. And so it makes you think, like, how did they get there? How did they get to this place where that would have been surprising news? Like to you and me, that seems like, yeah, right? Obviously, that's the story. But to them, how did they get there? And I want to suggest two ways that they got there to this place where, they're, where this is a surprise news to them. Two ways that they got there. One, it's human nature. It's in us to exclude other people. It is really in us to exclude other people. 
There is all kinds of, again, remember my, my, my job is about uh, studying how we think. There is dozens and dozens of psychological surveys that prove this over and over and over. We are natural born excluders. We love to exclude people. You give us any reason at all and we will shove you right out the door. I mean, yes, we are also lovers. We also want to be around people. But if you give us a reason to not like you, goodbye. We are really good at it. There's, a, there's one experiment that you, you might know both of these cases. They're very famous. In 1971 in Stanford University, um, this professor took all these people and he weeds them down by, by, by trying to figure out if they are mentally stable and if they are upstanding citizens. And he weeds them all down and gets down to these 18 men. And he, and he randomly selects nine to be prisoners and nine to be guards. And he sets up this experiment that was supposed to run for 15 days where he was trying to study what's the psychological impact of being a prisoner. Pretty simple thing to study, right? So he, t- he t- tells these nine guys, you're the guards. You've got to keep these prisoners in line. And he fake arrests these other nine guys. But wait, they fully know they're participating in a scientific experiment. They're getting paid to participate. It seems like... Obviously, this is just going to be, they're all just going to sit around for 14 days and get paid, right? No, the whole thing falls apart. The experiment had to be ended from the outside in six days because it had fallen. I have a slide. Uh, It had fallen apart dramatically. This was like the tamest slide I could show you guys. This this got horrible. There was there was sadistic behaviors happening in these experimental people who knew they were just there playing a role. It was amazing. This this experiment is highly criticized in the in the literature because it 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 got le- it left too long. It went too far. It was not right. But it also is highly enlightening. Another experiment, a little less uh, horrible than that one. You guys probably know in Riceville, Iowa in 1968, the blue eye, brown eye experiment, right? This teacher, right after Martin Luther King was killed, the next morning she gets up and she says, I have to help my kids understand this. And so she says to her kids, these, these kids right here, innocent little Iowa, Riceville, Iowa kids. Hey, do you guys want to help me in an experiment? Listen, they know they're in an experiment. Yeah, we do. Okay. Do you know what I know that you don't know? Brown-eyed kids are not as good as blue-eyed kids. And she, and she says, so we're going to give brown-eyed kids these brown collars so we can see them from afar. We don't even have to look in their eyes and know. And, and brown-eyed kids, they're, they're from bad parents. Brown-eyed kids are not as smart as blue-eyed kids are. Brown-eyed kids are going to have to sit in the back of the room, and the blue-eyed kids are all going to sit up front. Brown-eyed kids um, are not going to be able to ask me questions. Blue-eyed kids are going to get to go to lunch early and they're going to have extra helpings of lunch and they get to go to recess early. Fifteen minutes into this experiment, blue-eyed kids are picking on brown-eyed kids. By the end of one, that day, their academic test scores are lower for brown-eyed kids and higher for blue-eyed kids than they were the previous day with this, in the same kid. This kid improves because he's got blue eyes. This kid... Uh, goes bad because he thinks because he has brown eyes in one day we are natural excluders you give us any reason any reason goodbye you're out you're out i i hate to bring this news to you but that's inside of you too so that's one reason now remember what i'm exploring here is how did the israelites get to this place where they're looking at scripture and saying foreigners are out eunuchs are out 
One way they got there is because we're really good at doing that. All right, but now let's let them off the hook a little bit. A second way they got there is God told them to. (laughs) Well, at least that's what they thought. And I understand how they thought that. Listen to some scripture. This is some scripture about eunuchs. I bet you didn't know there was a lot of scripture about eunuchs. Leviticus chapter 21. For generations to come, right? This is a permanent thing. For generations to come, none of your descendants who has a defect may come near to offer the food of his God. No man who has any defect may come near. No man who is blind or lame or disfigured or deformed. No man who has a crippled foot or hand or who has a hunchback or a dwarf or who has any eye defect or who, uh-oh. Or who has, <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that one before. Or who has any festering or running sores or damaged testicles. It's right there. None of the people in that list can come near to bringing the food to God. Whoa. That seems pretty clear then, right? But there's not a lot of ambiguity in that verse. That seems pretty clear. Let me tell you another verse, Deuteronomy 23. No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting... These are gross verses. No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. Pretty clear. Pretty clear verse. Okay, now what about foreigners? There's way more scripture about this. I'll just give you a couple little examples. Foreigners, Deuteronomy 7. When, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you, do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your children away from me and serve other gods. Pretty clear. Deuteronomy 22. Or 23, no Amorite, no Moabite, or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even to the 10th generation. <laughs> Pretty clear. Now we get some scriptures that, that these are like what I call the wink, wink, nudge, nudge scriptures. These are like scriptures where God is trying to tell them something, but you think he's actually telling you something else, especially in light of these other scriptures. Do not plant two kinds of seed in your vineyard. If you do, not only the crops you plant, but also the fruit of the vineyard will be defiled. Do not plow with an ox or a donkey yoked together. Do not wear clothes of wool and linen woven together. There's all kinds of laws about don't mix two things together that shouldn't be mixed. Keep these things separate from each other. Keep things pure. What do you hear when you hear that? Right? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Don't interact with other people of other races. It's just not right. Isn't that what you start to feel like you're hearing from Scripture? It's because of this other principle. We're really good at picking up on those things and say, Oh, oh, I'm supposed to exclude? Okay, I'll do that. I'm good at that. This is how they got there. These Scriptures seem to be leading him here. So, what do you do with that? And this is where where I'm saying, this, This takes a lot of work. This takes some thinking. This takes a lot of reading. Uh, here's where I am. Let's go, let's go backwards again and start, restart the story a little bit and get back into these verses. So let's go. One thing we have to do is reset ourselves at understanding what the goal was of God, what He was after. So, Genesis 12, 3, I have a 12, 1 through 3, I have this slide. This is the calling of Abraham. This is scripture that should be super familiar because this is a foundational scripture. This sets off the story. The Lord God said to Abram, His name was later Abraham. 
uh, Lord God says to Abram, go from your country and your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And uh, um, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. This is the calling of Abram. One thing I want you to ask yourself, why was Abraham called? Why him? I think, I think we're supposed to understand that it's because God just did that. God called him. God decided. We could be reading in our scriptures about the calling of Jim. Right? The great, the great father of our nation, Jim. I think, I think like this prison experiment, yeah, sure, God had to, God had to find a person who was capable of handling this calling, who was capable of doing this work. And he saw, obviously, there was lots of people on earth that weren't gonna, that weren't gonna be able to do this call. But in the end, I think God called Abraham, and he, I think, is making it clear in this scripture. Look, Abraham, you're no big deal, but you are a big deal. I'm calling you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to turn your, turn your nation. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. I'm going to make this be across the whole earth. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah, I'm calling you. But Abraham is just Abraham. Man, when I meet Abraham, he's going to be mad at me. He separates Abraham from the, from the, from the rest. And he says, I'm starting here. But what's my goal? My goal is right here in this verse. Your name is going to spread across the whole earth. Anyone who goes along with you is going to be blessed. Anyone who curses you is going to be cursed. And your and this is going to, what's the last? All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. This is a global uh, uh, love story that's starting off right here. The main plan, the original plan is a global love story. You have to keep that in mind as we proceed forward. This is the starting point of the entire thing. Then we get to Moses. So after Abraham, uh, Abraham's family starts growing and growing and growing and growing. And finally, you know, they're in Egypt and there are a million people. And finally, God's like, okay, it's time. We had now, now we have the uh, number of people we need. It's time to get you guys separated out. So he calls Moses. Again, I think we could explore. Why Moses? Yeah, obviously, he grew up in the, in the, in the, in the uh, house of Pharaoh. That's a huge advantage. But other than that, he was not qualified for this job. Okay, so we call, we get Moses and Moses pulls them out into the desert. And now we're in this desert time and God has separated them out. And now God starts saying to them, okay, here's the deal. I got you guys separated out and now I'm going to start teaching you who I am. I'm going to start giving you laws and showing you a way, a new way. And we have to, we really have to understand how completely different this new way is from the way of the rest of the world. The way of the kingdoms of the earth, the holding of slaves, the killing of people, the being all out for myself. This is a radical new way. And so he separates them out. I'd never really thought this thought before, but I think 40 years in the desert wasn't just because of their sinfulness. It was because he had to keep them isolated for a while so he could start molding them into what he wanted. There's no way they could compete with the rest of the world at this point after having been slaves for 400 years and having no systems of their own. So God pulls them out into the desert and he starts sounding like a mom of a two-year-old kid. Hey, don't put that in your mouth. Hey, don't touch that. Hey, don't hit your brother. Hey, don't lie to me. Right? Just, just giving them all these little rules. 
And one thing we have to understand as we're looking at these laws. These laws almost always have two or three purposes to them. One purpose is exactly what, what it's... Don't eat that because you're going to die, right? You silly people. You don't understand this, but if you touch that, you're going to bring disease back to you. It has this like keeping them alive purpose. But usually those laws have other purposes as well. And a lot of times those other purposes are these metaphorical purposes that are showing the people what God is like. God is different from you. God is outside of you. God is holy and, and, and separated out. Or showing them pictures of the future. Take this ram and put all your, all your sins on this ram and then send him out of town. <laughs> it's a picture, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's supposed to teach them something about the future. Most of these laws have these two or three kinds of sides to them. And so we get to these laws that we're talking about here. There's this law that says, okay, you guys are going to have priests who are going to be able to talk to me. But here's the deal. I am so different from you. You can't even be anywhere near me. And so we've talked about this before. Here's how the law really goes. The law goes, there's a million of you. None of you, none of you are worthy of coming to me. Okay, get that in your head first. There's a million of you. Not one of you is worthy of coming to me. Got it? Okay, now, out of the million of you, separate yourselves into 12 tribes. I'm going to pick this tribe and pull them out. And these are more holy. Now, out of the 12, I'm going to take the clan of this one and I'm going to pull them out. And these are more holy. And now out of that clan, I'm going to, I'm going to use some... I'm going to have this rule that says nobody with a defect and I'm going to pull them out. And then out of that, we're going to cast lots. We're going to leave it to chance. We're going to put dice on the thing and we're going to say, now that person is going to come in and talk to me. And even he isn't really worthy and he might die. Do you see how the law is two things at once? It's saying, look, none of you is even remotely close to being with me. And I'm going to show this to you in a picture. Out of that, I'm going to separate and I'm going to separate and I'm going to separate and I'm going to separate. So these, this law that I read to you about eunuchs, I mean, I kind of, we kind of cheated a little bit because we took it out of context. The context is in this separation. Now, let me just say, it still makes me feel bad. Is that okay? It makes me feel bad. I mean, why exclude dwarfs? Why exclude people with, with defective hands? It, I, I, it makes me feel bad. I don't like it. But there's something about uh, that I understand that God is trying to ma- make a picture now, just to make it feel a little bit less horrible, uh, right in that verse, God says, by the way, those people that I've separated out, that last group of people that I've separated out, those with defects and stuff, they can still eat of the food of the altar. This is a high, high honor. 990,000 of you don't get that honor. Eating the leftovers of the sacrifice of the holy God is, is a high honor, and he leaves it for them. Where is this in my notes? Uh, Leviticus twenty one twenty two. He may eat the most holy food of his God as well as the holy food. Huge honor. Nobody else gets that. So, so there's these two things happening, right? These people are, yes, they are excluded from coming into the very final temple. But God's not excluding them. Ah, and this is where the Israelites go wrong. Israelites take that rule, that rule and say, Oh, that means they shouldn't even be here. If, we're, if, if God doesn't like them, they shouldn't even be around us. Now to the ones, now to the foreigners. The foreigners is a similar thing. God is saying, look, guys, out here in the desert, knowing nothing. Look, when you go into that land, 
I know, I already know those people in that land, they worship a God who, who sacrifices infants. They're, the archaeologists find these um, uh, 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 jars with infants in the walls of the houses because this baby is sacrificed to, to uh, bring luck to the house. These are people who have, who have religious practices that are upside down from the religious practices that I'm teaching you. And I'm saying to you, you guys, hey, you're not ready for that. You're not, it's just honest, you're not ready for that. When you come into this land, you have got to still stay to yourself for a while because, because what does he say? Or those people's religious practices are going to corrupt yours. This is a religious thing, not a racial thing. God is not saying, I don't like people with that color skin, or I don't like people with that racial background, or I don't like those people. He's saying, you're not, you're not ready to integrate with them and not lose the religious practices that I'm starting to teach you. You're not ready to understand how different God's way is from their way. You're not ready. And so don't intermarry with them. Uh, 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 just a, as another FYI here, uh, Moses, man of God, a man in this exact time period, marries an Ethiopian woman. Really run that through your head. Moses marries an Ethiopian woman, and God is pleased about that. In fact, Moses' brother says, that's not right, and God says, you're not right. Uh, you look it up. Uh, so it's not, it's not about race. It's God saying, you're not ready to intermix with them religiously. And so you need to keep your distance. But what happens to us? We take those things and we say, oh, I'm not supposed to interact with them? Great, I'm not supposed to interact with them at all. Keep them way away from me. So, so these, these practices just get built on and built on and they add layers and layers and layers. And pretty soon, anyone with any defect, anyone with any foreign blood in them, anyone who isn't male, anyone who isn't rich, doesn't get to come into the temple. We've added layers and circles around these laws. And God's looking at it and like, seriously, folks? I was trying... I was trying to help, but you have lost the very center of what I told you to do. Seriously, I, I pulled you out. I'm the one who make, is making you into a great nation. I'm the one who said, get it straight. But remember what, why I said we were doing this? Because I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make the whole world know about you. I'm going to bless anyone who's going along with you. And, and in the end, the whole earth is going to be blessed by you. So we get to this prophecy in, in Isaiah chapter 56. Look, people. Okay, the priests aren't even going to listen to me anymore. I know that. So I'm going to just talk right to you. Look, eunuch. Look, foreigner. If you think you're excluded because the priest told you you were. No. Eunuchs, you're in. You're in. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to make a memorial to you on my walls that it's going to last forever. In fact, you're going to be better than my sons and daughters. Gasp. Look, foreigner, you're in. Your, your uh, sacrifices are going to be acceptable on my altar. It's just even bigger news because I, Isaiah and other places is saying to the Israelites, your sacrifices are not welcome on my altar. In fact, I think Alice is talking about that next week, maybe. Uh, amazing, amazing stuff. All right. That's most of what I wanted to say. We are great excluders and God is not. God is God has established this thing as a thing that he wants to cover the entire earth. 
Now, I will really quickly, really quickly, I just want to look at the other side of this coin. We are also great self-excluders. We are, we are so afraid of being excluded that if anyone says something to us that even looks like they're excluding us, we like fly off the handle and say, what? You just told me that I'm going straight to hell. Wait, I didn't say that. We are so f- afraid because of how talented we are exclu- of excluding other people. We are so afraid of being excluded that when people say even the smallest thing to us, that's a correction, that's a truth. That's, that's, hey, I think maybe you're going in the wrong direction. Whooping! They just told me I'm to- totally out. No, no, actually they didn't. I've had so many conversations in the last months. The church whole, the church as a whole has hurt me, has told me that I'm outside of it. The Orchard Hill has told me I'm outside of it. That teacher has told me I'm outside of it. That video told me I'm outside of it. None of that happened. The church has got to be able to be to say this is the right direction without you saying, oh, you just you just threw me out into the weeds. You have got to be able to read scriptures and and have God say, I think you're in the wrong direction. (laughs) He doesn't say, I think I know that you're heading in the wrong direction. Without you, like, whatever, because that's also our natural tendency. Our natural tendency is to look for people who are excluding us and fling ourselves outside of the thing. And that is why in the next four weeks, every single teaching, we're going to have a time of confession. Like now I'll see you in five weeks, right? Wait, what? We're going to confess every week? Yes. We're going to have a time of confession every week. And the re- one of the reasons why is because we, we, think, we think it is healthy and we think people are going to need to start understanding this truth. That you can be on the wrong path, but you can be doing something wrong. And God can be saying, look, in the bigger picture, I want you. This whole thing is about getting you in, not about getting you out. But you need to, you need to understand that you're heading in the wrong direction. You're doing the wrong thing. If we can't be people who can accept truth and, and hear that we're doing wrong, if we can't be those people, then we can't improve. There's no way for you to improve. You're expecting your own internal clock to, or your own internal compass to tell you what the right direction is. You can't rely on that. You have got to take outside advice from scriptures, from God, from your friends. You have got to be able to hear things that you're going in the wrong direction and take that uh, and, and internalize it and think about, is that right? So we're going to spend the next couple of minutes um, looking at this very last verse in this scripture. This very last verse, which says, which God is saying, guess what? As I sweep in Israel, I'm going to sweep in others too. Israel thinks they're the only ones. As I sweep in Israel, I'm going to sweep in others. And we're going to, and we're going to let you think about two questions. I got a slide for these two questions. How have I excluded people from my community? How have I excluded people from the church community? How have I excluded people? Made them feel unwelcome. Made them feel like they're, they're, they have no hope. That they have no way to come in. What have I done that made people feel like that? And people that who God might be saying, no, no, I want them. And the other is, how have I resisted or taken offense at somebody giving me correction? When has the church hurt my feelings? And maybe the church was right. 
And how can I start to, how can I start to learn to take that and say, I need to, I need to understand the truth of it and, and change how I am. So I'm going to stop talking. We're going to spend a couple of minutes just in silence with you thinking about this. And then we'll finish up with some singing.